our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Hello and welcome to Girls That Invest. Today, guys, you'll be joined by Sim and Brooke from ShareZs. Brooke is one of the co-founders, co-CEOs of ShareZs, and honestly, a very amazing, very inspirational entrepreneur. Brooke has such an amazing story. I was honestly blown away hearing from just her entire journey start to end, what it was like becoming a woman in the financial space and what it took for her to get to where she is. You'll learn so many things from this episode. It is filled with so many amazing nuggets, not just about investing, but about personal self-development as well. So sit down, relax, and have a listen. We hope you enjoy it. Hello, Brooke. How are you? Kia ora. I'm great. Hey, how about yourself? I am wonderful. Now, I saw that you were a recent joint winner of the 2020 New Zealand Woman of Influence Award. Congratulations. I just want to start off with that. Oh, I appreciate that. that. I was really honoured to be able to receive that award alongside uh, Sonia Williams, who, you know, got another podcast episode with, who's also a co-founder of Shearsies. And it was really special to be recognised for the Mahi We Do and recognised uh, together because you know, it isn't just um, quite often you see, you know, one person kind of standing up and, and getting kind of those opportunities and that recognition where so many people are behind Sharesies and what we've created. And it, it's it's nice to be able to share that award with Sonia as that, you know, as an awesome founder and entrepreneur and, you know, fellow female too. I think it's such a beautiful thing, like, you know, one being recognized yourself, but also like alongside your colleague or like a good friend of yours and kind of having two women together doing it. I think that is quite wonderful in itself. And I did have a question. Brooke, you've got your own Wikipedia page. I need to know, how does that feel? What? So a- I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't know. So there you go. <laughs> I did my background research. Yeah, you've got a page. It talks a little bit about what you do, where you're from, where you've grown up. It's a big deal. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> Well, it's definitely something. <laughs> it's something I hope, I hope she's got, got one going too. Check that out. <laughs> so did you want to start off by telling us a little bit about your background, where you're from, and what sort of got you to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Well, apparently you can find it out on Wikipedia. So where I'm from, I grew up 
around Manirewa and Tauranga in um, Umokroa and Tupuna and Mount Monganui, which was just a wonderful place to, to grow up. And then for middle school and elementary school, part of elementary school, I did move to the States, really. You know, funny story, my mum and stepdad's kind of jobs went over there and I lived in Birmingham, Alabama and then Richmond, Virginia. And then decided that I wanted to come back to Aotearoa for high school and came back, went to school in Hawke's Bay. I got a scholarship to go to a school there and then ended up going to university at Victoria University and also Massey University. And when I was at university, I studied marketing and international business and then picked up finance and loved it and then ended up doing honours in marketing and then a master's in finance. And this whole time, ever since high school, I was just dabbling with businesses on the side. I ran a few businesses at school and really enjoyed it and kept testing where the wonderful ideas and uh, until came across Sonia and the co-founding team and we created Sharesies in, yeah, October 2016. That's amazing. I have to ask, when you say you created side businesses when you were younger, were you one of those kids that would like sell candies as well? Oh my gosh, how did you picture me so quickly talking about candy? I literally just tried before this podcast bubblegum m M&M, and and I'm still kind of bugged out about it. But yes, I was. I ran a tuck shop out of my locker with a friend until the school kind of shut it down. And that's when I first learned about, I guess, regulation. <laughs> and then I, I was in this area where there was a lot of women and who, uh, had a well a lot of people had kind of disposable income and a lot of uh clothing shops around and a real set and I was really into fashion and thought I'd go into you know fashion design or fashion business and I was like gosh it'd be great if there were you know we're we're fashion events here and so I started a business with some of my friends where we would like create fashion events for the local community and pull together the retailers and community and it was a bit of fun and did pretty well so did that while I was at school and actually through Young Enterprise too, which was really good. I, I think I was the first to bring that to our school, which was fun. So you were a hustler from the get-go. I just have excess energy and curiosity and like to give things a go, yeah. That's amazing. Did you, or would you say that there was someone or something that inspired you to be that way? Because I think like most kids, you know, back at that age, they wouldn't be so interested in stuff like that. They'd kind of be worried about, I don't know, other things. Yeah, interesting. I think I needed to find a way to make money. Didn't have like, uh, you know, yeah, needed to find a way to kind of support myself. And I was working as like a dishwasher or and then in our local footwear store, which was pretty cool. But and I think I was like, well, there's a bit of a need. And then I just, yeah, had these kind of ideas. I think my mum did support quite a bit in terms of she always had the ideas and uh and I liked seeing her execute them and she was running her own business at that time and I think maybe got some inspiration there and then just really wanting to give things a go. That's pretty impressive and it's amazing how even if we don't like realize it at the time like people can inspire us in ways especially our mums. Yeah I think she'll be loving that shout out. (laughs) And so when you started your journey into finance at university, when did that sort of transition into the world of investing? Like, do you remember your first memory of investing or talking about it? Oh, my first memory of investing. I'm not sure if it's the first memory of talking about it, but I remember when I was at university and 
hearing about how some people were using their student loans for allowance and putting it into, um, you know, investing it or parents were investing it for them. And I was like, whoa, I was like, you know, all my money was going towards living <laughs> um, and then working too. So I didn't really have this be a means to be able to make anything happen at that stage because when I was um, at university, there, there was nothing like sharesies or, you know, there weren't really accessible online investment platforms. You had to go through these brokers and just really high fees and felt quite inaccessible really. And I studied finance and really loved it and just really wanted to invest. I really enjoyed seeing how like the economies thrive and businesses come together. And I, I enjoyed the maths of it too. And I'd say like my first investment wasn't really a traditional investment. I supported my brothers and sisters through school. And also a lot of my spare money went towards that. And I always consider that as my first investment because that heartfelt to me at that time and where I really wanted to invest. And I, I you know, believe in investing, having non-financial returns also. But then in terms of my first, I guess, purchase of shares I did get shares through working at zero and the employee share option scheme but I, I didn't purchase them but my first ever shares I purchased were actually through shares when we launched that that is amazing I just wanted to say just backtracking a little bit when you talked about your siblings <laughs> and how that was your first investment that quite literally gave me goosebumps like that is um oh, commendable <laughs> I don't think a lot of us can say that was our first investment but it just goes to show that investments can be different things. It's not always to do with money itself. It really depends on like what your yeah goals, values are and, and what a return means to you at that time. And so when you were younger and you said that like the way to invest was a little bit harder and you sort of had to come up with a bit more money up front, did you look into those possibilities at the time and did they just not appeal to you or did you get a little bit put off by them? It's probably like a mixture of that. I looked at the platform that were available and had the phone calls when you needed to. I set up the accounts. Uh, I don't think I ever transferred money in that I can really remember. And I was learning a lot at university, especially in my master's. And it was actually the global financial crisis had kind of just been. And so we were learning heaps about the, you know, the recovery of the markets and, and what caused, people were sort of trying to figure out what caused it really at that time. And so I was definitely in that learning and navigating stage. If there was something like Shazies at that time where I didn't have to have extra money to get started um, and something that was a bit more accessible, I would have dived in. I know that. <laughs> like now that, I guess, as someone that's growing up with things like Shazies around, I can't imagine what it would have been like to want to invest and then actually have to call someone up and like have a conversation oh about it. Like, I think I just wouldn't do it. Yeah. Yep. But that is a thing. And it still happens with some ways you have to invest, people um, invest these days too. But yeah, it is nice to be able to just um, have it at your fingertips and, and invest when you want, how you want, with how much you want. Like the idea that you can just invest like in the comfort of your own home with your laptop by yourself, you don't have to interact with a person. Like I think that really <laughs> makes it so much easier and so much more accessible, not just like physically accessible, mm. but also mentally. Mm. More empowering, eh? So much more empowering. When you first bought your first investment, did you feel nervous at all, even though like it was through Sharesies and you created this account and this huge company? Did you feel any kind of way once you actually put in your money? 
I have to say, like when we started Cheers it wasn't a huge company then. So there was six of us that had founded it and we had um, a couple others in the team. One was our general counsel legal role and then uh, another two was Renee who at that time when people signed up, we would send them a letter with a magic code on it that they'd need to enter for us to do their address verification. So it was quite a different time back then that we were really handrolic at that stage. And yeah, the first investment to we um, provided on Shethi's were six exchange traded funds. So I wouldn't say I was nervous. I was just super excited about, oh my gosh, I can use this thing that we've been working hard on creating. And and just, it, it felt such, yeah, I felt such joy from it. It was also interesting too, because I wanted to, quite early on when I was building my portfolio on Shethi's, I wanted to invest in a bunch of things so I could relate to a lot of the investors that I was talking to. So if I, mm-hmm. you know, when they're like, oh, I've invested in this, I could be like, oh, cool. And I would have that, you know, I would have gone on that journey with them, having invested in mm-hmm. that certain fund and then certain companies. So, yeah, my portfolio still kind of looks a bit mad to this day <laughs> with a, a few dollars here or there. That, that is quite amazing. I don't think we give you enough credit with the fact that you went from, hmm, I want to invest. Investing is hard right now. Let's literally create a platform that serves us and everyone else like us that wants to get started. Like where did the idea come from? How do you go from an idea to creating what Shares is now? Yeah. On your episode with Sonia, she probably goes, I know she goes into the idea creation because she was the first person who had the idea behind Shares But when the six of us go from, okay, we've got this idea, how do we create it? We actually spent six months doing pure customer research. All of us founders believe that everyone should deserves an equal opportunity to grow their wealth. And with the technology available today, there's just no reason that someone with five to $5 million can't have the same investment options. So we really believed that there was an opportunity there, but we really listened to people. We spent six months just listening and interviewing people on what does money mean to them? How do they feel about it? What's the stigmas associated with it? Do they want to be an investor? Are they an investor now? And People, you know, it was so lovely getting those really rich and wonderful insights from so many people and then being so open with us to help us, you know, create shares at the end of the day. All of this helped. And we also got a chance to interview a survey, a quantitative, you know, a representative population of New Zealand. And from that, we found out that 99.5% of people wanted to be investors. So it was an aspirational thing. You know, people wanted to be. But they felt that they couldn't be because they felt like they needed heaps of money. They felt like they needed to know heaps and have a degree in finance, essentially, and then ultimately felt left out and that investing was just something for the wealthy few. And so we've set out to completely eliminate those barriers and having that really strong vision and real clarity from all those conversations we've had just propelled us to, you know, obviously quit our our jobs at that time and just go all in on creating shares and yeah never look back four and a half years later and when you were sort of going through that journey or in your job before or when you were studying did you find that you faced any challenges like being a young woman in finance I can't imagine that it was quite populated with women at the time or even now yeah there were not too many women or a lot of underrepresented communities in my finance classes and even in my master's classes too and then when I 
was working in banking, very often I'd be the youngest in a room and the only woman or maybe one other in a group of maybe 15. So I think what uh, was really helpful though was I was able to get a lot of, I felt like I had a lot of support from others in the room and people wanted to see me succeed and I felt like there was some other strong wahine throughout those companies that kind of had my back. But yeah, I, I learned heaps early in my career and ultimately felt like there's a bit of a change in guard, I guess, was starting to occur with more women uh, and more focus on increasing women in finance. And now I hope there's more and more focus on increasing underrepresented communities in finance too, because the more that we help create the system, the more that the system will be more accessible for more people and relatable. I really like that last point. And this is something a lot of women that we speak to kind of bring up they feel like when they're in spaces like where you are or where you were when you were younger that feeling of imposter syndrome did you go through anything like that and if you did did you do something to overcome it I've been hearing recently a lot of or seeing some articles about like hey we've got to stop talking about imposter syndrome and I haven't fully unpacked that yet but I think what I've learned as I've gone through my career is that so many people have those crises of confidence, you know, and, and you can have them at different times. And so, yes, I think I've, I definitely have that. You can, I think in my nature, I just always want to be doing better for myself and for others. And I think in, in, in that way, you, you kind of have those ups and downs in terms of your, your own confidence and what you can do. In my career too, I was in roles probably ahead of, well, I've maybe felt like I deserved them, which may bring this up anyway. I could answer this question where, you know, I didn't have the experience, but I definitely had the attitude where I wanted to go in and learn heaps and give it a go. But when you're going through that journey, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, you can feel quite out of your depth. But when I look back on my career too, I feel like quite often I felt like I'm in think or swim situations, but realized like I actually was only set up to swim because of the mentors or the leaders I had that I was working with, they were really there to support me. And that's pretty special. And that's what I hope to do uh, for people too, is make sure that they always feel like they can swim, but have that ability to really grow how they want. That's really well put. I like that. I like how, yeah, the conversation is starting to move away from the idea of imposter syndrome, but also like, do you have the attitude to go and do it? Because if you do, you might be a lot more supported than you think you for business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication, and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone. And the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach, and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. Well, yeah, 
I think that, that that's a great thing I've learned going on this like entrepreneurial journey too is there's a lot of support out there and a lot of other like entrepreneurs and also in and female entrepreneurs who really want to support the next generation of entrepreneurs or whatever it might be and I think that's fantastic that, that there is a lot of support out there and, and here in Aotearoa they seem to be a lot more accessible and willing to help people too which is great. That's very true. You'd be surprised by how many people will take you up if you just ask them for a cup of coffee and want to hear their story. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when it comes to women and investing, obviously we've all heard the stats, women don't invest as much as men. Women are apparently more scared than men when it comes to investing. But from someone that is the CEO of Sharesies or the co-CEO of Sharesies, why do you think that we as women aren't currently investing as much as our male counterparts? So I think it's more systemic than kind of on us. I think that when, you know, the system's been run by predominantly and, and created by predominantly men, we haven't been as included in the past and haven't had those kind of, that richness of that conversation kind of handed down to us or like being in rooms where they, they, you know, investing has been uh, talked about or business has been talked about like you know in the past and that kind of you know inherited and but that is changing on these around 42 percent of our investors identify as female and I think there's it's really exciting the change there and obviously the more that we start to create the financial system the more that we get to get access to participate in a way that's created for us with us I think that's really exciting and there are some factors that have played a part in this too. You know, the gender pay gap, if you're a woman and depending on the industries, but typically are paid less than men and therefore, so you're kind of on a back foot there. Because of that, we typically, we also live longer, which means it's really, really important that we do invest or that our money is working harder for us, especially if, you know, we've got a longer life that we need that money for. We're more likely to take a career break, whether that's for children or people in our family that we support and that means again that you you know like your kiwi saver might stop when you take that break and obviously the income can go down and so there's those kind of factors that are at play too and that's why it's, it's just really really important that more women have access to investing and build their wealth over time with amounts they can afford so when they're living their longer lives they've got longer to enjoy it but also when they can have that freedom and that empowerment to support their their whānau or, you know, reach the goals that they want to. And so I'm really looking forward to the day when, you know, 50% of the money is in women's hands also. <laughs> you know, out of all of the times that I've asked this question, not to be biased, I think that's probably my favourite <laughs> answer. It really isn't just in the hands of women when it comes to why aren't we investing as much and I, I think we mm. see a lot of shame and guilt put onto women in terms of why aren't you good with money why aren't you investing mm. but it's really I like the idea of sort of stepping back and looking at it from more of a systemic view and how is everything set up to even mm. begin with there's actually research that women make great investors too because we're more likely to take a buy and hold approach rather than like a buy sell buy sell kind of approach so and what buy and hold approach means is that go oh, look, yep, I'm interested in investing in this funding company and then we'll hold it. We won't be there trying to, you know, like actively trade it or anything. And historically over time, a buy and hold approach has been a really proven investment strategy. And so, hey, we're good at it when we do it. <laughs> we are, we are. And I wish more of us knew that. Mm. 
Now, when it comes to sharesies, you guys are a B Corp and you're one of the first financial companies in New Zealand to do this. Do you mind speaking a little bit about what that means and how it sort of ties into the ethos of sharesies? Yeah, I am super passionate about this. I really believe that business should be a force for good and that, you know, we're here to create, like if we look at businesses generically, we're here to serve people, to create products and services that enrich people's lives and improve society over time through innovation. And I think that it's really important that businesses are a force for good and that we're making a positive impact on our customers, our community, our environment, and on our people too, on the people that work at uh, the companies that are B Corps. And so we decided to become a B Corp at Shearsies early on. We always wanted to be. You had to have a year's worth of um I think registered or have a year's worth of revenue before you could become can become a B Corp. And so we waited till we got that hurdle and then got our application together. And it was yeah, it's a big process. Like to become a B Corp, it, it is not a small feat. Eh? It's it is really big. And I I was so stoked to see that because it gave me so much more reassurance and like I guess pride when we did become one because we knew that it was there's such a rigorous accreditation behind it. And so it took, you know, six months or so uh, in order for us to become a B Corp once we started our application to having our audits and, and then being approved. And yeah, I, for Shearsies, we really care and we really track, you know, making sure we're having a positive impact. And a B Corp doesn't mean the business is perfect. Uh, it just means that we really care about being better and making a positive impact and and finding ways that we can continuously improve and you know rising tide rises all ships and I think it's really important that as you know we increase the standards of what we expect from businesses and and see how they you know over can really make a positive impact and when it comes to like being a B Corp obviously that sort of falls into the idea of you know being more sustainable and more um, environmentally friendly and such we have a lot of listeners at home that really are interested in investing in companies or funds that have some form of a focus on sustainability, on being, you know, better for the environment, whether that be through women in leadership, whether that be through green companies. What are your thoughts on investing in that kind of way? Because we have some people that go, yeah, they're great. And then some people go, oh, like, you know, it's just greenwashing. Do you have any particular thoughts on that? Yeah, I think First up, I just want to make the distinction is like Sharesies as a company, as a B Corp, the investment options we offer on our platform, we decided the most impactful thing we could do is provide people choice because when we did all that six months of research early on, and obviously we continue to do research constantly, we learned that what was ethical to someone or what was seen to be sustainable was a real continuum. There's a, a real differing amount of views there. And so what we decided is we would give people choice and they could choose what they invest in. And on Shares, you can search for, you know, sustainable or responsible investment options. You can even sort search B Corp and see listed companies that are B Corps. And yeah, we've got the whole range of businesses on our platform. And I think when it comes to, you know, is that a good way of investing in terms of investing in sustainable, you know, um, companies that have really high ESG scores. So meaning that they've, you know, really think about their, they've got great governance and they've got societal impacts and environmental impacts that they, that are positive and that they track. And it really is up to each individual. I personally really think about uh, when I'm investing, is this business good for the world? 
what do they care about? What's their company made up of in terms of like their board to their management team? And do I believe that this business should exist essentially? And when you're investing, you're essentially putting, you know, you're voting with your money. You're going, I think that I want to be an owner of this business and back it essentially. And that's what you're doing with that one way to look at it, look at investing. That's a really good way of looking at it. I like that. And when it comes to investing, um, so, you know, when we go back to how you were when you started, your first investments, when you were learning, what does Brooks investing portfolio look like now? Would you mind diving into a little bit of, you know, what you've currently got, if you don't mind? (laughs) I probably can't say the individual stocks and things like that. What I can say is that we've still got a few dollars here and there from making sure I was being able to have great conversations with our investors. Well, like, oh, yeah, I've got a bit of that too and kind of tracking it. But really, I, I do care about businesses that are a force for good. So I'll put my money into companies and funds that I think are going to have a great impact on the world and are needed and, you know, uh, impact driven really. Uh, so that's where I put my money. I am a kind of high growth investor, about 85% of my investments are kind of in higher risk because I, you know, I plan to keep it in there for the for the long term and and kind of watch it grow from there. So hopefully that gives you a bit of flavor. Oh, we like that. And being a high risk <laughs> investor or someone that likes a bit of growth, how do you deal with things fluctuating a little bit more than they would in something else? Yeah, I think Fortunately, I've built up four and a half years of resilience to that now. Um, since we, you know, first making an investment with Shazzy, and I know people find it sometimes hard to not just keep looking at. But I think when you know when you have invested in businesses or funds that you think are investing in things that are meant to be or doing good, then kind of just ride that wave. <laughs> and I don't kind of obsessively check my portfolio and. Yeah, just know that I've got that long-term horizon and invest like that, really. And do you find that you're someone that like likes to invest consistently like every week or are you kind of like when you've got time to, you sit down and you go through it? Like I feel like with Sonia and I, with At Girls Invest, Sonia is very like, this is my auto-invest, I stick to the same thing and I'm a little bit more all over the show. Do you kind of fall into either one of those categories? I'm like both of you. Um, I have auto invest that I've set up. So I feel like, so I have money go in every payday and have that going into my DIY order auto invest. And so I know I've got that happening. And then I use, yeah, other, if there's extra money or something, I put that into, I usually have some money in my wallet so I know that I can act on something if I, if I want or if I've find out something I'd like to invest in and yeah invest that based on what I see and kind of what's coming up so both really (laughs) there's a lot of really good pieces of wisdom in this episode I really appreciate it now before we wrap up if someone's listening at home they want to start investing but they're not really sure how to get started or if they should get started what would be not a piece of advice but maybe a word of wisdom you'd give them or if you were speaking to you know young Brooke when she was getting started is there anything that you'd like people to take away before um, they get off when I was studying finance and I think the first finance class I had I learned about the time value of money 
Now, I learned like the mathematical equation to that and what it's made of. But essentially, what I learned is like the most valuable aspect of money is time. So, if you are starting out investing, it, it, I, I think there's a quote saying, you know, the best time to start investing was 10 years ago and the next best time is now. And I think actually someone mentioned that the other day, but I, I, I agree. Like, I think I wish I knew that uh, around compounding returns and compounding interest earlier uh, in my life. And in terms, uh, we actually just did a, an Investing 101 webinar too, which has some great investing concepts and stuff. Uh, and yeah, I think uh, you've got this essentially. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice way to put it. I'd just like to say thank you so much for coming on, for sharing all your pearls of wisdom and letting us dive into your life a little bit. It's been very interesting hearing little snippets of your journey and sort of seeing what it was like being a young woman going into this kind of financial space that even to this day, sadly, isn't as equitable as it could be. And so it's been recent here in your journey. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I know you're very busy, so we really appreciate it here. Oh, I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to interview me. It's, yeah, it's a great podcast and uh, it's really important that Mahi, you is when you're doing. So kia ora and thank you. And as always, to finish off with our disclaimer. Girls That Invest does not provide personalised investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. Alrighty, till next time team. Bye.